Welcome to the First Issue Club Podcast. We are the First Issue Club Podcast, where we are coronavirus invaded. <laughs> Mike and Greg and Caitlin hate when I host because I fuck up our intro every time. But it's it's part of the charm of No, this, your uh, intro is a lot like um, freeform jazz. <laughs> you just you brought your instrument and then the rest is made up from there. <laughs> we, you know, it's, it's a good thing that we have a template for how we get into this podcast because I just wreck it every time. Um, we are a comic book podcast where we uh, read and uh, discover, and um, we are a reading club where we do first issues. Holy <laughs> shit, do you know what we do? <laughs> and uh, it's different because we're not all in the same room. So uh, we're all uh, looking at each other over video, and we're, we're trying to make this happen. Uh, COVID-19 has not gotten into our systems, but it's gotten into the nation and the comic book world, and we are here doing a comic book podcast. We assume that since everybody is at home listening and watching media, that our numbers are through the motherfucking roof, and they are. We have more listeners than ever because of coronavirus, and so we're here to serve you. <laughs> Thank you, COVID-19. <laughs> Um, yeah, so, uh, comic books are in a, a weird, uh, place right now. We're going to get to that. And the books that we are covering this week are Hellions, number one, out on Marvel, and No One's Rose, out on Vault Comics. One thing that I wanted to say right now, uh, was that there's a lot of stuff happening in the comic book industry to basically be like, how are we going to continue? What are we going to do? One thing that was really cool that I sent you guys is it's a tiny thing, but Vault Publisher said that if you show them a gift card from your local local comic book shop, they will give you some free comic books and send them to you and some exclusives and things like that as like a nice little incentive. Have you guys seen anything else uh, happening with publishers and trying to save the biz as we know? TKO is an online publisher and they did like a Twitter campaign that was like message us your favorite comic shop. They're apparently taking 50% of their online sales and then distributing it back to those comic shops they wanted to support. So good on them. That's pretty cool. Yeah, the last I saw, like DC and Marvel were still kind of trying to figure out, are they going to release digital? Are they going to release, you know, in three or four weeks, just the physical copies and just be delayed a month? And last I heard, DC is actually going to chug ahead with digital releases next week. And no physical copies. They're gonna, you're gonna come back, and you're not gonna get physical. You're gonna have to like jump onto the physicals after this. Yeah, there'll be like a backlog. Like you'll no have thanks. your digital out next week, and then when everything's you know clear and comic book shops can open again, you'll have your regular floppy comics there to buy. So theoretically, you may have to buy your books twice. It, it would make more sense if they were like, we're not gonna print the ones we do in digital. And then you come back and you'll, but they would never do that because then you would have these no. holes in these holes in your run. Right. I hate that. You're like fucking up comic book shops because they're going to have to buy all these comics that potentially no one's going to want because they've read them digitally. Yeah. I mean, I talked to Doug a little bit about it. Our, our friend Doug from Geekery. He's getting a lot of shout outs lately because he <laughs> knows how this stuff works. Yeah. <laughs> he, he was telling me that like, okay, so let's say like Batman 94 
is like high speculation. If it comes out digitally first, that means they can bulk up on that comic book in the physical form and like have enough for people to buy. So there won't be, you know, speckers out there hunting the market. But the other thing that sucks about that is like, if we come back, I'm not going to drop $500 in one setting to buy all the comic books that I have. I'm more than likely if I read it digitally, especially like an indie that I'm like, eh, whatever. Yeah. I'm not going to go just buy that because I was like lukewarm on it from my comic book shop. Do you think they would do this? Like, let's say you can prove you bought the digital copy. You could like use that as a voucher to go in and get the physical one for free. And then DC should send the comic shop your money. Yeah. Oh, that would be awesome. Would it happen? No. No, never. No. Yeah, you're right. It will not. What if they could do this? If they, if you could go to, you could somehow show a voucher that you bought it from your comic book store. Like you give them e-vouchers and then they transfer that e-voucher into a digital. No, there's no way. This is broken. <laughs> what if what if they rip a, a single page out of every book and mail it to me with like how many books I read over the summer? <laughs> kind of like a book it situation. Did you guys know that you can get indiv- like an individual page uh, CGC'd, graded? What? That like ripped out? Yeah. Why would you do that? Have you seen it? I've seen it, yeah. I was looking up Amazing Fantasy 15 copies on eBay today, and there are all kinds of wacky things. Like um, instead of a number in the box, you'll see like a like CV, and it just means cover. So the only thing that's in the slab is the cover of the comic. And then there's all kinds of other things to show that, like, you know, I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with, like, the, the purple label. If, like, something's been, like, cut out or it's missing, like, a coupon or a page from inside the book. And then you get some kind of label if you if it's autographed, but you don't have the, sign, the signature sign for it. Is that the same thing as, like, a marking on it? I think it's green. I, there's, there's green for something. And an interesting thing is, let's say I have a certified Stan Lee autograph on my book and then an uncertified John Romita on it too you can have it graded and they'll grade the book based on the one qualifying signature and then they'll caveat it with like a secondary color bar that says hey all I know we've we've graded this as a nine based on this one signature but also there's this green thing representing another signature that like totally fucks up this book if you care about that god it's a really weird system and i'm sure there are nerds out there who do care about that so i could so there's there's comics that i have like signed by people and if i ever wanted them cgc'd at a accurate like number regardless of the signature that's on it that's not verified, I'd have to have some other person involved with the comic book sign it and have that witnessed, and then I could have it graded and have a high number put on it, if that makes sense. Yeah, that sounds terrible. You want to hear something fucking infuriating? Yes. So when Stan Lee came to Planet, I waited an hour and a half to get a signature. Which was fine because I got to meet Stan Lee and it was great. I got to talk to him for 30 seconds and it was the most surreal moment of my life. And then at the end of the line, when you get your comic book that's been signed, you're greeted by a person that works for Stan Lee's people. And they go, hey, do you want a certificate of of 
authenticity. Yeah, thank you. Uh, for an extra forty dollars, and I'm like, yeah, that's awesome, just to prove that you know Stanley did sign this book. And so while I was at Planet, you know, the graders were there. I took it up to the graders, and I was like, hey, like, can I get this graded? And they're like, you can, but it since none of our people were standing next to you, you won't get like the official yellow label or whatever. So not only did I buy a useless piece of paper from some schmuck that says Stanley actually did sign my comic book, I can't even get like the the for real like yellow tag on the comic book because a you know CGC person didn't stand oh next to me. Oh my god, that's crazy. Here's the stupid thing with those slips of paper too is that I could I could write Stanley on anything, right? And then just put that piece of paper into an unrelated comic and give it to somebody and be like, see, there's a certificate, and then keep the thing that I know is signed by Stan Lee. Very true. Those pieces of... I bought one, too, because I'm a fucking moron, and I was just on a high. And I was just like, yeah, great. Yeah, they could have come up to me and asked me to buy anything, and I would have said, uh-huh, sure. Yeah, do you want one of Stan Lee's hairs? <laughs> yes. 60 bucks, that's a steal. Uh, anything else? Like, I, I, Marvel's discounting a bunch of their books. Um... So hopefully that will help lessen the load for local comic book shops. Um, there's a bunch of like random stuff that's that's going on. We don't even have new books necessarily next week. Is that right? Yeah, no new books. Okay, so that'll be this will be an interesting episode to figure yeah. out what we're going to be doing next week. I think we got boatloads of other things we can do. Um, yeah, we were going to maybe watch a uh, Bloodshot and talk about. Oh yeah, that. that's a great idea. Well, I think we should. Get this podcast started. Started. Yeah. First up, we have Hellions out on Marvel by Zeb Wells and Steven Segovia. Kaylin, do you have a little read-up about Hellions? So Hellions, number one, I, I realized that I had been slacking on my subtitle knowledge, and this one had a good one, and it was called Let Them Be Snakes. Um, so this first issue starts off with a Nightcrawler quote about the folly of creating Eden if you don't have a use for snakes, which um, kind of paralleled to me like an idle hands fable type of warning, um, because then we're introduced to several black sheep of the mutant family getting ready to be judged and thrown in a pit for their various crimes against Krakoa. But you, we get a surprising and quick pitch from Mr. Sinister, and then they've got their own team, and they're heading off with leader Psylocke to a dangerous mission that will hopefully let them do what they do best. We kind of talked about this in our Patreon a little bit, so we're kind of like rehashing some things that we talked about there. But one thing that was really um, stood out to me is that this comic book was all about introing a new team and maybe the new Hallmark classic for how to intro a new team. What do you guys think about how it did it? I think you nailed it right on the head. I think it did a lot with introducing these characters that probably no one knows who the fuck they are or even cares about if they live or die and making them instantly charming, instantly intriguing, and you will want to learn more about them. 
So I thought it was fucking brilliant. And I am all in on a book I was lukewarm with about three weeks ago. Totally. And I think that like I didn't know who the nanny was or Widowmaker. Is that what it is? Orphan. Orphan Maker. Yeah. Orphan Maker. Yeah. I had no idea who those were. But like it makes you care about them a lot. And I don't think you needed to know who they were. Yeah. I, one of the things that this book did best, I think, was set up the whole idea about mutants, mutations, kind of making them who they are. With empath specifically, we get like a whole write-up. Since he can control people's emotions, he's got no natural response to know that like what he's done is bad, right? So his mutation turned him into a fucking shithead, but it was his mutation that caused him to be a shithead, right? It's not who he was born as. So for celebrating mutants, like what do you what do you do? Do you condemn these people because of their mutations? Yeah, I think that this whole comic book is about the gray area of bad or of evil. Yeah. Um, and so like what, that there is no like real evil and that like there's, when you get down to it, there's a whole, like all these other motivations or weirdness of things of why people are doing what they're doing. And in some ways, and I think this is brilliant, they made Mr. Sinister the poster child of this. And so like in this like discussion, they're like, Mr. Sinister is just like, Hey, I have an idea. I'll take the team because I'm basically like kind of a bad guy. And I get this. I get how this works. Yeah. Right. His, I, we mentioned this on our Patreon that Zeb Wells' voice is perfect for writing Mr. Sinister. And he was so cheeky and quirky in this. And I loved that about him. This comic book was like surprisingly, insanely awesome. Like it, it, it launched a new team. And I was kind of like, uh, is this my favorite X Men book now? Well, yeah, it's like Ocean's Eleven. Like this ragtag group of misfits that each have their own individual you know skill brought together to pull off uh i don't know if they're pulling off heists or just like tracking down other rogue mutants but they're definitely on these missions that are like do or die so i don't know it's just kind of fun and like a different take on the x-men in general did you guys have a favorite character that was in this new uh thing i'm gonna go with the nanny Describe the nanny for our listeners. <laughs> I think the nanny is standout. I have a hard time thinking of other characters besides the nanny, but I wouldn't say it was my favorite. <laughs> the nanny is this egg-shaped robot with teeny, teeny, tiny arms and legs, and she is obsessive over Orphan Maker, who is like a baby in a full man-sized uh robot body so some really weird dynamic there he's the nanny is like orphan maker security blanket is is what i'm trying to say so she's just along for the ride and make sure everyone minds their manners (laughs) it's kind of like manners police and they're all like shitheads and assholes so it's going to be hard to maneuver i think my favorite it wasn't one it was like the team up of uh wild child and scalp hunter how they're kind of just like they can both, you know, rejuvenate their health, which helps for Scalp Hunter because Wild Child is just this insane little hedgehog of a mutant that will attack for no apparent reason. And but for whatever reason that the Scalp Hunter just kind of feels I don't know, not sorry for Wild Child, but just feels like some kind of connection and 
feels the need to protect it or put it under its wing or something. Yeah, I mean, every character that they brought in, and this is like why I think this book is so good, is just that it made you, it felt like a different story they were reading into. It accomplished what they were and what their problem was very quickly. And it also made you think like, hmm, this person is bad, but are they redeemable? Right. And like, so like in the Quiet Council, if you're deemed irredeemable, are you just like annihilated then? Is that what I'm looking into with this Quiet Council? And they just, they're the ones that just get to decide, like, nope, trash human. Kind of. Mike D, is that what you're seeing as well? or Yeah, you're like banished into stasis. Okay, so you're just like frozen. Right, like Sabretooth right now has been banished. And we didn't talk about this, but like Zeb Wells is known for like doing what? Like, why do you guys like him as an author? He's written a couple really quirky, funny comics. Uh, he's doing the Ant-Man run right now that is really inventive and and weird ant-man in that story is living in an ant pile outside of a trailer park and the (laughs) the queen ant in the place is like his landlord and they get into like bickering arguments but obviously since it's an ant she speaks in like broken stunted english and this ant is like the clear adult smarter being in this like argument and quarrel is just so entertaining and funny. So he's just got a way about writing weird misfit characters and uh, it's great here. Spider-Ham is another book that he's writing right now and that one's been really good. I hope that because of the craziness that happened right before this comic book coming out that it doesn't just get lost in the shuffle. I agree. I wonder if sales are like way down on this thing or alternatively sales are way up because everyone's like, well, shit, I I miss comics and reading comics. I'm going to give this, you know, new thing a chance because I haven't bought anything new in a few weeks. I mean, I'm probably going to revisit last week's releases a bunch and pick stuff up just because I want to read another comic book. Yeah. Well, yep. I think that for sure I'm picking up number two on this. I want to see where this goes. Um, I'm I'm excited about it. Well, one thing I'm interested in is if this is just going to, if the storyline's going to go off the rails and all of these characters just get wild together, or if they keep going on subsequent missions that meet the criteria for the sort of things they want to send this team to do. And I think it's interesting the qualifications they put together for what sort of missions this this team can go on. So chance of human casualties is nil, was the first one. Violent overreaction is the ideal. So they're saying that these characters are the world's bulls in a china shop. And we don't let them out of the pen unless we want to break all the china. So so that's interesting. And then uh, the last one is that there's some sort of therapeutic value in the carnage. So the characters really get to express themselves and be crazy without it being uh, frowned upon or looked down upon. And I think finding missions like that that meet those qualifications to like send this Mr. Sinister team on (laughs) with Psylocke being their babysitter essentially like 
I think you're just going to have to be really creative coming up with things that meet those criteria. And the fir- the first one that they send them on is like these defunct kind of like misfits that Mr. Sinister had made that have now like overgrown and need to be like put down. Yeah, it's like a clone camp that he built. And so I think like beyond that, I can't even think that that scope is very uh, limiting. Yes. In the missions that they can go on. All right, it totally is. But does that go to show you like, uh, you know, in a, in a year, if this book's still going, are we going to be like, man, Zeb Wells is such an incredible writer because he put himself in this tiny box, but the book isn't suffering because of this box that he got put in and it goes places where our minds don't immediately go. Yeah, and I think another good thing about this book is that it being part of Dawn of X, I don't need it to tie in eventually. Like some of these books, you're like, oh, this would be cool if it eventually ties in. But if it doesn't, like it's kind of just its own weird Yeah, I didn't need it. I agree. A lot of these, I want them to pay off in the larger story, and that's why I'm following them so I don't miss something important. But this one, it doesn't matter either way. It's, It's a standalone good book. I agree. And I and it would be awesome if like if they were remained a team outside of the Dawn of X like series. Well, I imagine it's going to be like a rotating cast situation. It has the opportunity to be sure. Like all of them are, though. Yeah. Right. I mean, is this In is it an unfair comparison to say this is kind of like the X Men's version of the Suicide Squad? It's unfair in that the Suicide Squad was already like bad criminals and they picked them out to be like hey you're bad come do like something and you might die this was like these people don't consider themselves bad but other people do and it's like to i don't know it, it's it's very much comparable but it's it's this weird difference of like judge and jury that like the juxtaposition where i'm like more interested in it for some i guess reason. the only difference is with the hellions there's that therapeutic aspect that we're they put them on these missions to maybe heal them or correct their thinking of how they are mutants with the suicide squad. It's just like, we don't care if you live or die. You're just going out there to do something for us. We just need this done. Yeah. My assumption is if they die on the mission, they're reincarnated on Krakoa like any other mutant would be. And then they either join the Hellions again or are, temporarily exiled if they died because they couldn't stay in line or something yeah i think that's the interesting thing is that this this process of being a hellion should should rehabilitate them correct in theory yeah it's like a it's like a work study program <laughs> for, but not for like killing not and murdering necessarily to change like the only thing i would see that was different is that it's not necessarily to change how how they operate it's just allowing them to contribute to the greater good the only way they can exactly right well um that's hellions i think i think so too (laughs) (laughs) that's one way to end it yeah was that hellions another solid hit in the hickman x-men dawn of x soon to be afternoon of x which will finish off with evening of x an X to remember. An X to remember. Is there going to be a fourth meal of X? <laughs> After oh, evening yes. of X? Tea time of X? <laughs> <laughs> Brunch of X? <laughs> yeah.
Next up, we have No One's Rose out on Vault. This one is by Zach Thompson and Emily Horn. Zach Thompson has done a bunch of Marvel stuff before, um, some random things, including, I think, Yondu uh, that came out before this. Caitlin, uh, what is No One's Rose about? No One's Rose is about a post-apocalyptic society in a biodome with some serious classism at play. It kind of all boils down to a brother and sister, one who is hellbent on revolution and leading an uprising of non-human citizens, and then the other kind of desperate to shed her family's undesirable and traitorous past and also just kind of like rise up the ranks and earn her place in high society um, through science and helping to reclaim the earth, uh, which has led to the reason that they're all in the biodome to begin with. Yeah, <laughs> it's a, it sounds more convoluted than it really is, to be honest. Um, I think that uh, this this book, by the way, had a lot of hype as far as like the indie books. It got on a lot of lists as like best indie book of last week. Um, so I think check it out for that alone in that there was like a clear path for it being the obvious number one indie book uh, of choice, I think, of the week. Um, no shade to all the other indie books that I guess came out. <laughs> um, but this, uh, <laughs> the, the, it's, it's straight up like can't build plants. Hey, there's a dome that has plants. There's also a society that's huge class classism going on. How are they going to raise from the ranks? Not a classic story being told necessarily, but it's like very futuristic sci-fi, uh, weirdness, but also a story that's like, it just seems like a brother and a sister like trying to figure out a fucked up world is kind of how it plays out. Yeah. <laughs> a couple things that I really loved about this book is that I thought the the world was really fleshed out. Um, and with the complexity of having like an upper tier of society and lower tier of society and all the, you know, bio environmental things that we have going on that, it read really cohesively for how rich they made the world um, all in one issue. Also, the leads, the brother and sister, are really engaging and interesting and seem like they're each individually a lead in their own right. I didn't necessarily really gravitate towards one or the other as the clear person to follow. So... Consider me fully engaged, fam. <laughs> it's lit. <laughs> it was litty. <laughs> I was too. I really, I really enjoyed this book, and I think to your point about how richly the world was developed, it was done in a way that was more. You're kind of dropped in, and you're just seeing it rather than being told what the world is, and I. I appreciated that. I mean, I love a good graph, but I didn't realize until you were kind of talking about how you just get a sense of what this world is like for both of them, even though they live two different lives, that it was really well done. Yeah. I I also liked the setup of the group that the brother is trying to join. They just let you know that he's like stoked to be joining some group of people and your your assumption is is that they're do-gooders and then when you get to the last page you're just like man who's the bad guy here 
is her brother a terrorist? Is is the whole upper crust of the society? Are they like shitheads that are living luxury on the shoulders of all these people suffering literally below their feet? Like who's who? Well, Mike, to answer your question, yes, to both of those questions. <laughs> and oh, I was gonna say one of the things that they that I'm I'm not necessarily clear on is that the the drazzle, which is this, um either we're going to find is a terrorist group or like a human rights sort of organization that's uh a you know extreme um says that they are demanding non-human rights and they're wearing masks that make them look like tree leaves and shit yeah do they identify so, as plants now well i th- are they saying that we shouldn't be fucking with like trees like is is the science of messing with the biodome and trying to recreate trees like what bothers them? Hang on, are we sure they're masks? I didn't know that they were either. I think they're masks because I looked real hard at that. They're definitely if we're masks. Have plant people in this. I am way on board than I was before. Well, they're one hundred percent masks. Okay, because I was just like, wait a minute. When did we have plant people in this comic book? But they did have like dope ass weaponry that was like way better than just your common steel sword. Okay, so they're definitely masks. This kind of book magically makes way more sense to me. <laughs> 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 the other thing that this comic book did, which will always win me over, you throw a fucking hoverboard in a comic book, and I'm in. <laughs> Solid note for every publisher and <laughs> yeah. writer out there. Yeah, great take. Yep. Yeah, I'm a big hoverboard fan. I'm su- I'm sad we never got them uh, in real life. So comic books is my only escape for hoverboard. So just uh, throw a good hoverboard in there, and yeah, you'll you'll suck in the BK, the Budget King. We never introduced who's on this podcast, by the way. Oh, I'm Mike D. I'm Timothy Framble. Yeah. <laughs> hey, hey Tim, good to have you. Hey Tim, I know I've been ar- I've been away for a while, but I'm back <laughs> and better than ever. And uh, Caitlin, you there? Yeah, I'm here. This is Caitlin. <laughs> All right, we got Timothy Framble, Mike D, <laughs> Budget King on the podcast. With three minutes to go, we've introduced ourselves. Yeah. Wait, three minutes? Is that <laughs> is that our countdown now? Yeah, that's all we got. We got three more three more minutes of takes on No One's Rose, I think. Yeah, I like. I want to know if the know-it-all Goody Two Shoes sister is really the smart one, right? Or if she's like the one who's had the wool over her eyes this entire time, and her brother's the really smart one. Because right now, it seems like her brother's all around on the wrong side of this, right? Like he's trying to join a group that's attacking a parade, <laughs> which <laughs> he... commonly in history has been a bad idea. He illegally snuck her into a segregated neighborhood through waterways and almost got his sister killed. Almost. But is ultimately, are we going to find that the brother is the enlightened one who like really knows the truth and the way? Or are they both kind of lost and they're going to like meet in the middle? I feel like that would be a smart way to do it. To, to, because to what end is the brother... Like, he wants everybody to have the same rights, but maybe he would be infringing upon science to reclaim or bring back some form of, like, environment, like, to sustain that kind of life. And she's doing that, so maybe if they meet in the middle, they can find a way to 
fix both of those things. Yeah, their end goal is the same, but they're com- trying completely different ways to reach that end goal. Um, what One interesting aspect of it that we haven't touched on yet is that the brother is in a romantic relationship with someone in the Drazzle who is that, you know, group attacking the parade. So is he influenced beyond a normal extent, right? Because he's romantically involved with somebody. Has he been manipulated a little bit based on his emotions? Doesn't the brother work for like the water purification system? Like, because that's how he knew the pipes to get into the upper area. I know he's been studying like the blueprints of the city and became really familiar with that stuff. Okay. But I want to say that his job was like tree maintenance. That they've That's got right. these yeah. huge trees and he makes sure like he noticed like a little bit of mold on That's some right. of the like rooting systems and he pulls a black leaf off the tree. Right. So I I think Ominous. we're also yeah, led to believe that the the things keeping this dome full of people in an atmosphere that's livable um, might be on its way out as well. So another layer of something interesting here. And kind of timely for what's happening to us here. (laughs) I want to live in a dome. Well, it's going to happen soon (laughs) enough. This shit keeps spreading. (laughs) Keep all all the poor infected uh, people out and (laughs) let me in the dome. Let me in Give me the in that dome. Trump dome. I'll buy my way into the Trump dome. <laughs> cool. Um, any more thoughts on No One's Road? No, I have one thought, and it's that Budget King's uh, birthday is uh, this Wednesday, the first new comic book day that's been canceled. So cheer him up oh. by wishing by wishing him a happy happy B day on Twitter. And not having any comic books. <laughs> it's also April Fool's Day, so you can tell. Uh, no, April Fool's Day has been canceled this year. <laughs> yeah. No, Josh. And <laughs> thank, thank God. I don't have the anxiety that would... left to deal with a fucking <laughs> prank. <laughs> There's a cure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. You know we're gonna see so much of that. Y'all yeah. gonna die. Oh, you know. We're going to see all of this. Like, I wish they would just tell me this was a joke on April Fool's Day. Yeah. Like, that's going to be the meme. Yep. Anyways, even though we're doing this from afar, I like, I like talking to you guys. I like seeing you. Um, I like talking about comics. Ditto. And soon we'll be all together again. We may, we may be a little bit doom and gloom, but this will pass, and we'll be back in the same room talking comics with new comics coming out every week, and that'll be a good day. Do we got to... You guys want to say... Little things. The closer. Suck my fist and call me <laughs> Trish. Mike signing off. <laughs> no, I was thinking like the. Oh hey, yeah, 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 no, no, no. So, no, no, no you know, you so <laughs> officially goodbye. So give us. At so, Trish. So give us so give us five stars and follow us at First Issue Club on social, firstissueclub.com for the podcast news and more. Don't forget about that Patreon where we have extra episodes, interviews, videos, and so much more. This has been another episode of First Issue Club. 
We are a proud member of the Fountain City Frequency family of podcasts. Our music is provided by Primary Color Music. We are recorded in KCUR Studios. You can find us, rate us, friend, and follow us on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, email, and your favorite listening platforms at First Issue Club, F-I-R-S-T.